Hello and welcome to a brand new Arseblog Arsecast right here on Arseblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you very much indeed, as always, for being here. Long time no speak, eh? What is this? Two podcasts on a Thursday? What's happening? I'll tell you what's happening. One, the first podcast today was an interview with Chef Reactions. If you haven't had a chance to listen yet, it's uh, a conversation with an Arsenal fan about his newfound TikTok fame and lots more besides. And then just a little while ago, I was recording the Arsecast for tomorrow and... uh, We were discussing all the bits and bobs that were going on, obviously, with Declan Rice, Manchester City, Kai Havertz, all the stuff that's going on. And I I worried, I sat there worrying about whether or not by tomorrow morning it might be out of date. So I said to myself, fuck it, let's throw caution to the wind. Let's not be constrained by schedules or anything like that. Let's embrace the free-form jazz philosophy of Arsene Wenger's best football teams and just... Do what feels good. And that is why we've got another Arsecast on a Thursday. And I'm not going to delay. I'm going to get into this because there is plenty to talk about, plenty to consider now that Manchester City have officially uh, entered the race for Declan Rice. It should not be a surprise to anyone, really. But it has sparked plenty of debate and discussion and worry and all the rest of it. So with me to talk about that and to talk about Kai Havertz, Thomas Partey, Saudi Arabia, and lots more, it's Charles Watts. Hello, Charles. Hello, Andrew, mate. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. We are recording Thursday afternoon, just after three o'clock. It's fair to say that there is a certain amount of uh, consternation doing the rounds online when it comes to... Declan Rice and a bid or a bid uh, that's imminent from Manchester City. And I think there's quite a bit to parse here because on the one hand, people are saying, you know, Arsenal, they've been interested in Rice. They should have just got this deal done before someone like City came in and dilly-dallying might cost them the player. And look, maybe he will go to Manchester City, maybe he won't. Um, But I think the idea that all of a sudden Manchester City have just decided, you know what? think we'll bid for Declan Rice as if it was a sort of recent development I'm not convinced that that's the case because whatever else you might say about Manchester City um, and the provenance of all their resources and all the rest of it is that they are an extremely well-run club with uh, very smart people uh, at the top who build things in a very strategic way so their interest in Declan Rice, while probably not as public as Arsenal's, is probably just as long-standing because of the way they viewed their own squad turnaround this summer and who else they might bring in. I absolutely agree. I think you don't just go in just for the sake of it, decide, oh, here we are a couple of weeks into the window, let's go for Declan Rice. It's obviously something they've been thinking about. Potentially what's happened with Gundogan has prompted them into doing it now the sort of timing of that you know Gundogan agreeing with Man City uh, with Barcelona maybe that's what's Mm. prompted them to do this Um, but it's it's not surprising news no at all I (laughs) I've been playing golf this morning as you know and I was walking down I think I was about the 13th fairway and I looked at my phone and I saw what was happening and it's like oh no here we go it was not unexpected you were kind of waiting for it waiting for it and West Ham I'm sure have been waiting for it and have been playing the long game mm. because of that because if you're West Ham you'd be crazy to 
to jump into the first couple of bids that come your way for a player who clearly is going to be very much in demand of a few clubs. You know, it's absolutely to their benefit to drag this out as long as possible and wait for the other clubs to come in. That's happened now. And it's going to be really interesting to see what Arsenal do. And one way I understand the argument of some people saying, why don't you just pay the money? I kind of look at it in that way a little bit when it comes to Rice because he's such a priority. There's been so much work done. And he, I think he's so integral to what Arteta's planning for the next step of this team that you almost feel like just get it done but that is a little bit football manager-esque really because it doesn't work like that does it it doesn't no and you know Arsenal aren't like Manchester City they can't just write checks with whatever number on it that has to be balanced they've got they've spent an awful lot of money in the last couple of years they owe an awful lot of that money still for transfers that need to be paid and they need to structured deals accordingly because of it so they can't just go and pay 50 million 100 million up front for Declan Rice they need to mm. do a deal that works now I don't you know they're not out of the running by any means for this for, for Declan Rice now I fully expect they will go back in with a third bid um, I don't think Manchester City coming in changes that I don't think they'll panic they've put a lot of work in behind the scenes with Rice and his family um, who kind of look after him and I'm sure they'll go in again so Ultimately, player preference might come down to this one. Um, and we know that Declan Rice is pretty keen on it, on Arsenal. But, you know, this is Man City. This is Pep Guardiola. This is a treble winner. the best team in the world. Mm. It must be pretty tempting when they come knocking. So I think it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, it surely will. And, you know, there's a there's a few things about this that, that sort of merit further discussion. You know, the idea that Manchester City as a football club you know, want to consolidate their success. And one way of doing that is to sort of add the best players to your team, which sounds pretty self-evident, right? And Declan Rice is one of the best midfield players in the Premier League. From an Arsenal perspective, this is something I think they probably expected slash feared with, uh, with City coming in. Um. When you are competing for players of this stature, the deals tend to be more complicated. You know, with, with all due respect to uh, the respective clubs and players like Aaron Ramsdale, Ben White, even if those deals were slightly complicated, you not necessarily, you don't have a free run, but, you know, you, you're in a good position if you're Arsenal Football Club to bring those guys on board to sell them your project. Like you say, if you're Declan Rice, as as encouraged as you might be after all the conversations that you have had with Mikel Arteta, and I'm sure he is fully aware of what his place in the squad might be, like you say, when, when Pep Guardiola comes knocking, when Manchester City come knocking, there are footballing elements. There are also probably some financial elements as well that Arsenal are, are going to have to contend with. And... That makes it difficult to go for these players. The other the other thing that, that strikes me about this is that if we're talking about this as a strategic move from Man City to make themselves better, there's also very much an element of putting a, a spoke in Arsenal's wheel by buying a player they really want who would very likely improve Arsenal quite considerably – and leaving us in a position, leaving Arsenal in a position where they're going to have to pivot to something else. So they get strengthened. Arsenal, if not necessarily weakened, 
are no longer capable of of strengthening in the very short term anyway uh, the way they were planning to yeah yeah i think there's definitely something in that i can't imagine city would would you know make the move just just because of that no. but it must come into the equation for them you know they're not stupid they know that arsenal at the moment are probably their closest challenges and should they get declan rice they're going to be a hell of a lot better next season um and so it makes sense for them to try and stop that and they can get themselves a top quality player at the same time, I mean, it was. I always looked at this signing as potentially being Arsenal's biggest since, for me, Sol Campbell, in terms of the stature of the player, the quality of the player, the clubs that were going to be in for him, how much they were going to have to pay. If Arsenal, uh, you know, for Arsenal to sign Declan Rice, I think it would have been, it would be such a massive statement of where they are as a club now. You know, a couple of years ago, you could never even envisaged mm. Arsenal being in the mix for Declan Rice if he was available. Um, because of where they were. But the fact they are now, I think, says an awful lot. If they could get it done, I honestly think it would be the biggest signing since Campbell in terms of what sort of statement it would make and how much of an impact it would make on the team. Um, but you're, just, you're right, you're not going to get a free run at Declan Rice. If Declan Rice is available, which everyone knows, I mean, David Sullivan's basically told the world that mm. he's available this summer, uh, which was <laughs> quite interesting, the fact that he went and did that. Um Everyone, everyone's going to be sniffing around. You're never going to have a free run at him, so you're going to have to fight off competition. You know, it, it's no surprise that City have come in, and, and we're not even mentioned Manchester United yet, who are very much in the background here for him as well. Um, you're just going to have to trust your plan that you got for, for yourselves and hope to try and get it done. But you can't, especially if you're Arsenal, as much as we all want them to. You cannot really just pay the money. Like you keep saying, people say, just pay the money. It's very hard. So in one way, I can I can totally understand why people say that. But from a business point of view and from mm. a club point of view, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that if you do not have the ability to just basically hand over an open check and yeah. Arsenal don't. Yeah, I mean, there are financial realities that you, that you have to deal with, you know, and this is part of why people have been critical about Manchester City is that those aspects of doing business don't often come into play or don't come into play as much for them as they do for for a club like Arsenal. I mean, when you say that, and I agree with you in terms of what this signing would mean for Arsenal, in terms of the stature, the development, the progress, the ability to attract 24-year-old player, West Ham captain, one of England's stalwarts, you know, going into his prime years, you know, it would be a big, big thing to get this player over the line. Given that it has been so public, and, and I think there's probably a bit of a misconception here. I've seen people talk about this a bit on Twitter, and I know it's not the the, the gauge for, for everything out there, but the idea that, that it has been made public by Arsenal, um, you know, that we have somehow publicly made a declaration that this is our number one target, we've put all our eggs in that basket. The information has come out, it's undeniable. Everybody knows that it's true at this point. But my my firm belief is that Ar- Arsenal would have preferred for it to be a bit more, a bit more under the radar. Um, I don't think Arsenal would ever, you know, go public and say, "Yes, this is the player that we want to bring in. This is the the main transfer. This is our priority." Everyone knows, but the club aren't going to come out and say that in a statement or anything. But if it doesn't happen, does it does it have a, a sort of negative effect on how the club is perceived maybe in the transfer market that i think i think it will from 
from Arsenal fan. I mean, it'd be undeniable. You couldn't get away from the fact that it'd be another top target that they've missed out on. Mm. And, you know, you go back to January at Mudrick, it happened exactly the same. But I think it's different in a way from the Mudrick situation. Mudrick was a hell of a lot of money mm. for a player who'd never played outside of Ukraine, who was very much a player for the future almost. We've seen how raw he is since he's arrived at Chelsea. So I think that was a different situation. And when the from what Shakhtar are asking and from what Chelsea came in, you know, Arsenal backed away and I think they were absolutely right to back away. This was obviously a little bit different because you've got a Premier League player who's proven he's an England international. He walks into the Arsenal team, immediately improves the starting eleven. Now, Mudrick was never going to be signed as someone to come in and improve the starting eleven straight away. He wasn't going to get ahead of Martinelli or, or mm. Saka. So it's a little bit different. But it is another top target they could potentially miss out on when it's all very public like this, exactly like Mudrick was, which again was a really public one that was drawn out. All from Shakhtar's side, I may add, <laughs> on that one. A bit like um, this and West Ham, because you know yeah. West Ham have been really, really leaky when it comes to this. Because as soon it as a big goes, them, yeah, it? of course, of course, it makes mm. sense. You know, why wouldn't they? They're trying to. I mean, look, if they knew of Arsenal's interest, they would know fine well of Manchester City's interest. You mm. know, and making sure that there is, in in inverted commas, a bidding war makes a lot of sense to them. But also the idea that, um, you know. Every both times Arsenal's bids have gone in, which have been ninety million pounds plus, you know. So it's a still a lot of money, you know. It's a club record transfer for Arsenal uh, in terms of figures. But that information has come out pretty much straight away, and there's only one source of of that information when it's being disseminated across, um, you know, various journalistic platforms. We know where it's coming from, so you know that's something that Arsenal have had to contend with, you know, because it it sort of puts a bit more pressure on them to, I don't know, be decisive to make the third bid, to make a bid that West Ham can't turn down, um, which you know, when you're a selling club and you've got a good player with two years left on his contract. And you've got Arsenal interested, you've got Manchester City interested, you've got Manchester United interested. Why wouldn't you cause a bit of chaos, if that's the right way of putting it, to make sure that you get the the most money for your football club? No, you would, exactly. I mean, this is West Ham's captain we're talking about. This is a player who the fans absolutely love. He's just got and lifted their first trophy in, well, since beating Arsenal in the cup final all those years ago. And um, they're not just going to give him away at all. They're going to want to do all they can to get as much money as they can so they can say to their fans, all right, it, you know, De- we've we've had to sell Declan, but look, look what we've got in return. Mm. And then they can build their squad around that money accordingly as well. So it makes perfect sense for them, as frustrating as it will be for Arsenal. And it, but it will be frustrating for Arsenal if they don't get it done. And I'm not saying they won't because there's still a lot, you know, that we're, we're nowhere near the realms of this is, you know, Man City are going to get this over the line at all. Um but if they do and Arsenal miss out, it'll be a huge blow to them. It will be a massive blow. You know, this was a player that they really, really wanted. It was a player that Arteta wanted. And I think it will change the summer plans pretty dramatically if they don't if they don't manage to get it on board, get him on board. So, you know, there's still a long way to go. And I think and it's going to be really interesting to see what Arsenal do because will they push the bow out a little bit further than perhaps they would have wanted to just to try and get this done if they need to? Now, you know, 90 million is a big bid. That's 18 million pounds more than Arsenal have ever bid, ever paid for a player. Mm. You know, that it's not a derisory offer by any means. It's a really good, serious bid from Arsenal. And West Ham are well within their rights to refuse it. Um, and they have done. And now if Arsenal are going to get this done, they're going to have to potentially go higher than they wanted to. But sometimes you have to do that in football. And if the money is there, if they do have a little bit of scope to go further, 
you know, maybe to that hundred million pound mark. Mm. You know, I think they've still got a very good chance of getting it done if they do that. They did, you know, they did show in January that they were prepared to go that bit extra. You know, when it came to Mikhailo Mudrik, you know, the stories about how Arsenal, you know, the 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 there was green light, if you like, to match what Chelsea had offered, and Arsenal decided no. We're not gonna we're not gonna push it that far. So it is possible that in this circumstance, you know, the people who are running the club, the Cronkies, Tim Lewis, you know, that executive board, I mean, do they have to take into account the the impact of not getting it done on the perception of the club as as a, a club that is serious in the transfer market? Because look, I think Arsenal have done really, really good business over the last number of years. And the, the proof of that particular pudding is in the fact that we had a great team last season and, and we finished second and uh, you could see the progress and, and all the rest of it. Nevertheless, there have been a few occasions where that number one transfer target has not come through. And again, to be fair, they have pivoted pretty successfully to different players. But you are compromising, aren't you? That if you are trying to build a team for the future and you're looking at Mudrik and you're looking at Caicedo, when your pivots are Trossard and Jorginho, they're much more short-term deals. Mm. And I think in this circumstance, it, it it might be a factor in how the club react to this because they can't really let Declan Rice go and then bring in a guy who's 29 and say, we'll, we'll think about this again next season or the season after. You know, there is, a, there is an importance in building on what we did last season and the progress that we made. And Arteta said, and this is his quote, he said, we have to nail this transfer window. And it feels very much, for all the reasons we've talked about, that that this is a complicated one, and you can understand why it's complicated. It feels like getting Declan Rice would be one of the first and biggest nails in in that particular uh, factor for, for Arteta anyway. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I th- look, Arsenal have done very well when they have missed out on top targets. Like you said, you know, Trossard I think has been a brilliant addition. Jorginho surprised me with how well he played. Um, you know, they've been smart and they've reacted well. But like you said, it's a very different one. This one, you know, this is a deck. This was this was the player who was going to come in. I, I almost I was, I'm talking about it in past tense, like it's not going to happen. Mm. That's just not what I, I mean. know. I know. I know what you. I know um, what you're saying. But. You know, he was a he was gonna the, the whole midfield is gonna be built basically around around that. Right, this is the, mm. the start of the big midfield rebuild. He was the player to, to you want to do that. And if you miss out on him, where do you go from there? You know, you've put so much work into Declan Rice that Caicedo, who Arsenal do like, still like, has begun to edge closer towards Chelsea because all the pro- focus has been on. Mm. Um, Declan Rice and whether Caicedo they even see Caicedo as a player who would play in the same position that we see that Declan Rice would play and again I, I don't know if that's you know the, the idea in January was they were going to try and sign both you know they were going to if they'd have got Caicedo for 70 million in January mm. I still think they would have gone for Declan Rice this summer it's just this because of what's happened since and how much Brighton are now asking for Caicedo that I think financially it's very difficult to do both but the fact they were trying to do both suggests to me they weren't planning on playing them in the same position if you see what I mean so, yeah it's not a case of just moving on to Caicedo if, if Rice goes, uh, because I think they're probably looking at playing in different positions. So yeah, I couldn't say who they would tr- 
pivot onto this time. Hopefully they don't have to pivot onto anyone and they, and they get this done. But if they do miss out, they're going to have to react very, very well because, um, you know, the midfield, you can't go into the new season with Champions League football with an undercooked midfield. It's the most no. essential part of the, of, the, of the pitch, basically. And, um, and Arsenal need to resolve it. So it, it's going to be really interesting to see how they react if they do, if they do miss out on, on, on him but hopefully they don't hopefully they don't hopefully they don't and um you know we hear talk of a third bid coming in they, and hopefully they, they will bid again yeah they, of course they will, they will definitely bid again this isn't they won't wave the white flag at, the, at this stage no 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 we'll hear all about it from west ham as soon as it happens anyway so <laughs> we will. um one deal which does look set to be done and that's kai havertz from chelsea a bit of a surprising one i think it's one maybe that people have come to terms with a bit more over the past week or so, you know, I remember when we spoke about it maybe a week ago, uh, there was, a, you know, again, a big reaction for various reasons. I mean, just before we go into Havertz himself, tying it into the discussions about Declan Rice, you hear people say, well, why pay $60 million for Kai Havertz? Just put that extra money into Declan Rice. But again, it's not like Arsenal are just giving Chelsea £60 million. That is a deal that has been structured and will be paid over a certain period of time, a certain number of years. So there's a certain amount of money going out every single season. So it's not as if signing Kai Havertz or or maybe um, you know the, the Ajax defender that we've been linked with uh, or whatever it might be precludes you putting together the deal that you think is right for someone like Declan Rice. No, no, they're not. They're not going to not sign Declan Rice just because they signed, yeah, um, Kai Havertz. It's, that's just the, the two aren't really linked like that. But I can understand why people some would look at it and say, "Oh, why did you know pay five million less for Havertz and add that to the Rice thing?" But it doesn't really work like that. Havertz isn't. I, I'm so interested by the signing of Kai Havertz. I have to say, when last season ended, if you'd have said to me, "Who are Arsenal going to sign in the summer?" one player I would never ever have said was Kai Havertz so it's it's a really interesting one I'm so interested to see where Mikel is looking at playing him next season you know whether he'll come in he's coming in as a starting 11 player or he's coming in as a the squad player which I think would be equally as important because we you know where Arsenal fell down last season was it wasn't the starting 11 it was the fact mm. that the first 15 16 17 weren't, weren't good enough and that's if Arsenal want to compete get closer to City and compete in the Champions League, that's what they need to do. They need to have a squad of 17, 18 players where if someone gets injured, the drop-off in form isn't so stark as it has been. Um, I, I mean, it's I, just that nagging thing in my head is, is he is Havertz being brought in to play the Granite Xhaka role? It's just really, really interesting. It's, mm. you know, is it some sort of, you know, grand master plan that Mikel has got with Havertz? And, you know... He, Three years ago, if Arsenal had signed Kai Havertz from Leverkusen, there would have been so much excitement about him and because of what he was doing in Germany. Obviously, it hasn't quite worked out for him at Chelsea, but you know, in that period, he has won them the Champions League and the World Club Cup. He's stepped up in you know, the big moments and delivered for Chelsea. He's a talented player. He's got huge potential. He's the right age for an Arsenal signing. He's versatile, which you know, pretty much you have to be if Mikel Arteta is going to sign you now. Yeah, you play in a couple of positions. He adds height to the forward line. Mm which Arsenal haven't had before, um, certainly, you know, recently anyway. And um, he's technically, he's very good. He's fast. He's faster than you think. So there's a lot of things to like about it, but there is just that thing of he hasn't really done it for a couple of years here. We've seen him. We've watched him struggle. We've seen him miss chances for Chelsea. And so it's not like 
you don't have that pure excitement of a signing mm. because he struggled. But I don't think that necessarily means he's going to come to Arsenal and, and, and struggle at all. And I think Mikel Arteta and Edu have done enough when it comes to talent ID over the last few years to you know, have a little bit of trust into what they're thinking. If they really want to sign Havertz and they're willing to pay the money that they are to get it done, then, you know, they must really rate him and they must have a pretty clear plan for him. Yeah, there was a piece in The Athletic by their Chelsea correspondent who sort of was touting the idea of, of Havertz as the eight or the Granit Xhaka replacement, which I do think is an interesting one because he struggled at Chelsea as a striker. That's not where he's best. I think where he's best is getting into the box uh, mm. and arriving into the box, um, you know, from deeper positions rather than leading the line. He is, of course, somebody, like you say, he's six foot three, I think. So he does give you a bit of height. 30 odd percent of his, his goals for Chelsea have been headers. So there is that extra bit of threat, a different kind of threat if you need that. I'm not saying he's just being brought in as like a plan B, hoof it up to the big man type yeah. thing. But I'm I'm absolutely fascinated by the idea that he might be the Granite Shacker replacement, but perhaps doing it in a different way. Yeah. You know, this this idea that, you know, a player coming in to replace another player has to be able to do all the same things that other player did. Well, maybe Mikel Arteta wants something a little bit different from his, you know, fam- famous left eight and views something like that in, in Kai Havertz. I mean, I look at the fee... You know, it's it's hard to be completely comfortable with it. You know, it's not my money. It's not your money. But, you know, we all judge uh, transfers on the fee, right? Um, nobody talks about the fee for Aaron Ramsdale, which people thought was very expensive for a goalkeeper that had just been relegated. Nobody talks about the fee for Ben White. Um, but everybody talks about the fee for... Seventy-two million pound Nicolas Pepe, right? Because he just didn't deliver, and that 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 price tag becomes a bit of a millstone. But it also suggests to me that he's not simply a backup option, because it is a considerable amount of money. It's the second biggest transfer in Arsenal's history, mm-hmm. if and when it goes through. And it does suggest that there is a very very clear plan for what this player can be for Arsenal, even if it's not what he has been for Chelsea. Yeah. I mean, it could be the next step, like you say, the sort of evolution that we've seen under Mikel of Arsenal and the system that he's been playing. He's kind of tinkered and changed with it over each season almost that he's been at the club and it's kind of morphed from the initial Mm. kind of three at the back into the 4-2-3-1 into the kind of 4-3-3 that we see now and we're used to now. And like you said, this could be very different. I think it would be very different with him there because, you know, Granite, defensively, I cannot see Havertz being able to do the sort of defensive side of things that, that Xhaka did in that role. Mm. Um, I can see him doing what Xhaka did offensively, and he did it very well, Xhaka, but I can see Havertz certainly coming in and adding to that and adding more quality to that. Um, but defensively, it would put even more pressure on whoever's playing in, in the kind of sixth role, I think, because uh, you know Granite did drop in and, and help out Thomas Party a, a lot of times. So... It is a fascinating one. I agree with you. I think it's a really interesting sign. I, I don't think as well that although you're paying that sort of money, that it necessarily has to be for a starter. Like I keep going back to how much the squad football is such a squad game now, and you kind of look at Man City as well. And it's it's why if you're if you, if you play fantasy Premier League like I do FPL every week, you never put a city, city attacker in it because you just don't know who Pep's going to choose that that day. It could be Gundogan, it could be Silver, it could be Grealish, it could be Foden. It's just a different mm. one every single 
you know, he changes it all the time. And that's what allows him. You look at the Mares, I didn't even mention in that. And you kind of look at the minutes that they all played last season. It was all between like 1,000 and 2,000. Then the Arsenal, it was like Saka was over 3,000. And, you know, if you've got more options and you can change things and you can make yourselves a bit less predictable, you can change your system a little bit by who you bring in. It's just going to make Arsenal a hell of a lot stronger. So, I wouldn't look at the value and how much they're paying and think that necessarily means they're definitely he's definitely coming in to start every single game. I think it's just, you know, Mikel knows that the, where Arsenal fell short last season mm. was the squad, ultimately. No, I, yeah. I mean, I agree with you in that. He, he definitely adds depth um, in a number of positions because he can play as a striker, even if it's not been his, his forte at Chelsea. And he can play on the right-hand side. Um, and you know, cousin of mine is a big Chelsea fan. He said, just put him either side of Martin Odegaard and you've got a hell of a player on your hands here. So whether that's in inside in the left eight position or outside as somebody who can give Saka a bit of a rest, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm so loath to bring it all back. I'm just wondering, it just occurred to me as we were speaking there, you know, the idea uh, of Havertz not being able to do what Xhaka does from a defensive point of view, which I think is, is fair. How joined up do you think the Arsenal transfer strategy is? Because if Havertz is being brought in to play the eight and it puts a bit more pressure on your six and you've earmarked Declan Rice as your six and you don't get Declan Rice. And again, I'm not catastrophizing here or anything else, but it, it feels like maybe, you know, the 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 addition of Havertz is designed uh, or perhaps very strongly linked with the arrival of Declan Rice. And and we could talk about that in terms of a couple of departures now as well. Obviously, uh, Granit Xhaka is sitting on his hands waiting for his move to Bayer Leverkusen to go through. And, and there's been a lot of chat about Thomas Partey this week, which we'll, we'll get to now in a sec. Thomas Partey, I don't think you sell. You don't? I don't think you sell. I, I think if you get Declan Rice, I think yeah, I can understand it. I think if you get if you don't get Declan Rice, I don't think you sell Thomas. No, Partey. I think I, that's fair. I think, I think you'd be mad to. Yeah, I think to to lose two of your your three central midfielders in the same summer when you're just about to go back into your first season in the Champions League since 2017, it's a huge gamble. Even if you do bring in top quality players, I think it's a massive gamble. It disrupts things an awful lot. You know, Granite fine you know that was I think ideally you'd have kept him for another season I think but you know there's different sort of factors behind that and you know it was a chance for Arsenal to make some money he wasn't going to get a new contract family and all that so I can understand Granite but to sell Thomas Partey I think in the same season you sell Granite Jacker is a massive gamble. I know he had a terrible end to the season but for two-thirds of it he was one of the, he wasn't just one of the best players at Arsenal he was one of the best players in the Premier League he was absolutely mm. brilliant until that final little run when I'm convinced he was injured even though everyone says he wasn't. Um, yeah, I look back to that. You know, the last international break, he went with Ghana. The physio went with him from Arsenal. We didn't play the second game. Yeah, He came back and he was just, he was 50%, I think. The, not, the Manchester City match, when, you, when you're seeing Kevin De Bruyne literally charge away from him. You mm. know, he had no legs, Thomas Partey, in there. So I'm convinced he was injured. But for two-thirds of that season, he was brilliant. And I think if you get, the, if you get Declan Rice, then by all means, yeah, maybe potentially do it you've got a really good opportunity to get some good money for a 30 year old who is injured a lot and mm. has only got a couple of years left on his deal but if you don't get Declan Rice I think you've surely you've got to and you know if you don't get Declan Rice and you have to go to another target who wasn't your first choice I think surely you've got to bite the bullet a little bit because 
that Thomas Party role is so important. It's so integral to how Arsenal play. And it took Party a season to get used to it. At least, yeah. And if, if Havertz comes in and be, to become the number eight, it's going to put even more pressure on that six role. And so to throw someone in who potentially wasn't your top target into that position, I think is a mm. big, big risk. I think you, you, you stick with Thomas Partey for me. Well, this is what I mean about the interconnectedness of everything, that so much depends on Arsenal getting Declan Rice in. It allows them to make, you know, what could be a risky decision, but if they've got Declan Rice, then they feel like, okay, if there's decent money on offer for Thomas Partey, who's 30, had an indifferent injury record at Arsenal since he arrived, you know, next year, if there's money on the table, it'll be a lot less. The year after, there'll be no money at all. Um, you know, if you're future-proofing, if you're, as Arteta says uh, at times, needing to be ruthless about how you manage your squad, you can absolutely see, you know, why they would make that decision. But again, it's all incumbent on getting your top priority target in. So this is why I think, you know, there might be a big push or Arsenal might push a little bit harder than they might have wanted to for for Declan Rice. Um I'm not saying it's like a house of cards or anything like that, the transfer strategy, because I think they will have alternative targets, of course. But for what they want to do, both incoming and outgoing, you know, there's so much onus on on getting their number one deal over the line. Uh, and I guess to an extent that that probably has occurred to, you know, people before it's occurred to me. So perhaps that's why there is a you know, uh, such a measure of anxiety. I think the other part of it, of course, is that we, you know, the idea that you lose to Man City on the pitch is one thing, but losing to them off the pitch as well would be a real sort of salt in the wound kind of uh, feeling, wouldn't it? It would be, yeah. I mean, there's no shame in losing out on a player to Manchester City, though, because of, you know, who they are, who the manager is and how much money they have. So Mm. it's not, there's no shame in it, but it would be a it would be a real sucker punch. I think we've all, we've all kind of been desperately hoping because it's been so public. I think it's been the hope has been there that it was just going to happen and that, that Declan Rice was going to be standing there in an Arsenal shirt basically the day after West Ham beat yeah. <laughs> um, Fiorentina in the Conference League final. It was never going to be like that, but it was kind of what we were all hoping. Um, and so to lose out on him now, and like you said, the knock-on effects of losing, missing out on him. I think we all know would be pretty drastic. Um, and so, yeah, fingers crossed, Andrew. Mm. Fingers crossed it, it happens. The interesting Thomas Partey from Saudi Arabia uh, is obviously very interesting. And, and what I think is also interesting is the potential impact of Saudi Arabian spending in the Premier League this summer and what it might do to the market in general. You know, if big money is on offer for older players or players in the September of their careers, you know, usually you'll see a guy go somewhere in Europe and, and see out the, the remainder of his career. And you get very little for those players because, you know, their their value uh, has diminished. Maybe their contract status has diminished. But you have these big offers for, well, you know, players like Mares, who you mentioned, and Golo Kante. But also somebody like um, Ruben Neves, which is a little bit of a, not quite a game changer, but it does demonstrate perhaps a little more intent on the part of the Saudi Arabian League to make it more competitive than people thought. I think the idea is, well, they're going to 
buy all the old guys and it'll be a nice retirement home for them. But if you're bringing in somebody like Ruben Neves, who's 26 years of age, uh, a player that Arsenal were quite interested in a couple of seasons ago, um, maybe last summer as well, you know, he was widely touted with us. You know, at the peak of his career, with his peak years ahead of him, that's a little bit of a game changer because we've seen that other thing happen before. You know, we've seen the old guys go to China and, and what have you. But, you know, if they're picking players from Premier League clubs with the offers and the kind of offers that are impossible to refuse, it, it's going to make things very, very interesting over the course of this summer. You know, there's still quite a long way to go. Maybe what have we got? Uh, two and a half months of the transfer window left. Don't jump out the window there. Um, you know, a lot could happen in that time. I know someone could come in for Nicolas Pepe from Saudi Arabia <laughs> in that time. Why Why hasn't that happened yet? Seriously, 50 million. Um, yeah, I mean, it is a bit of a game changer. It will be interesting to see how long how long and how sustained the push is for them, um, from them. You know, even with China, they did. There was like Oscar went over, didn't he? He mm. went from Chelsea. So there were some of the younger guys who took the money as well and went over there. Um It'll be interesting to see how many more follow Neves. I agree. When I saw that, I was like, oh, wow, that changes it a little bit. That's not just your 30-plus players going. That is someone. But from his point of view, from Neves' point of view, and I sort of look at, again, China. Carrasco did it, and he went over there. That's right, yeah. Had a couple of years and then came back to Atletico at about 28 and still had a great career in Atletico in Europe. And for Neves, he might be thinking that, you know, go there for two years, earn 400 million or whatever stupid amount you're getting paid and then still come back to Europe and you've still got you've still got four years left in Europe at a top league so it is appealing I mean the money on offers astronomical it is very very appealing some players will go for it some players won't it's very similar to what's happened with live golf isn't it you know some players mm. some of the big PGA players took it others didn't and you know we've seen kind of what's happened there as it's all unfolded in, in the last couple of weeks but um, players will. Some players will always be tempted to do it because the money's so life changing. It sets a family up uh, and everything else. So it's an, it's going to be really interesting. It'll be it'll be interesting to see if the big TV deals follow. We know that they've got unlimited cash. We know they can do it. We know when they want to make a real impact on an industry, they have the ability to do it. We've seen it again with Live. You know they've managed to force their way into basically you know, into the PGA, to the very top levels of the PGA now, which I think was the whole plan in the first place when, when Liv was, came to the table. So it's slightly different with this, but you kind of look at what the long-term goal would be and you mm. guess they're trying to get themselves the World Cup in 2030 and having a really strong domestic league is going to help with that and big names all over there is going to help with that. But, you know, will they try and muscle it on the Champions League? Will they try and get, you know, money talks at the end of the day and they've got an awful lot of it? You know, will the, is this is that the end game for them? Do they want to try and get themselves into the Champions League somehow. So or, how it all unfolds the next couple of years is going to be really interesting to watch. And it certainly made a massive, massive impact. And, you know, I think we've only just sort of seen the first ripples on the surface, sure. really. It's going to it's going to continue for, for a while yet. Or indeed, you know, some kind of a Super League or or whatever it might be, it will be fascinating to see what, what the plan is because it can't be just about throwing money at some footballers and bringing them over and making the league more competitive. I guess, you know, that's part of it and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, footballers 
have a short career. They're going to take the money if it's on offer. Some of them will, some of them won't. What I think is fascinating about this as well is that the Premier League has been, until now, the undisputed financial powerhouse of, of football, right? It's grown to the point where, you know, even your bog-standard Premier League player is out of reach of most European clubs. You know, when you're trying to sell a player, um, you know, and we've had examples of this down in the past, it's like, well, why don't we just sell this player to a European club? A, because the wages in the Premier League are so uh, disconnected from the wages that you get at uh, other European clubs, apart from some of the big ones. You know, once you start going down the leagues, they can't afford to pay those wages. And the Premier League have used that to their advantage. Sure, they pay big money for transfer fees and they pay big money for wages. But generally, when a Premier League club wants a player from Spain or France or Germany or Italy, again, beyond the the you know the, the very top clubs, they have the financial power to do that and make the offers that are, are difficult to turn down. And I'm not saying the tables have turned here, but... There is an element now of somebody who has potentially greater financial firepower, um, even in a sort of different kind of structure than the Premier League, rather than individual clubs. You know that the Saudi PIF are, are funding some of these clubs as well. Um, it's sort of like, oh, okay, we didn't think this could happen to us because we have spent so much time making ourselves the number one destination, both from a... Uh, prestige point of view uh, because of the the players that play in the Premier League, but also financial point of view. And now that's not the case, certainly financially. No, no, it is. It's, it's a direct rival. Again, I, 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 I sort of link it to what Piff have done with golf. You know, the PGA was the undoubted number one. It had all the best players. It had paid all the money. It was the prestige and everything like that. And Piff rivaled it. They went there and they rivaled it. There was, there has to be an end, an end game for it though, because as rich as you are, as unlimited as your cash is, you don't just want to constantly just lose that cash. And at the moment, they would be doing that. They need to get big TV deals to make this, re- you know, realistic. Even with big TV deals, the, the big TV deals, I don't know how they're going to pay. They're going to make money on the wages that they're paying a lot of these players. And it was the same with Liv. You know, they were just paying them so much money. There was no TV deal. They were just hemorrhaging money. It was mm. just a a business that was made no financial sense, but the end game is what they've achieved in golf. And that was to basically muscle in on the PGA and get, have their say at the very top of golf. And, you know, the mergers kind of happen now. And you wonder what the end game is with this, because it's not, I don't see any, it's it being financially viable at all. And I don't, it doesn't matter how much money you have. You don't just want to pump money down the drain, do you? You just don't, there, there has to be an end game and whether it is just to get the world cup, whether it is to muscle in on, the Champions League or to, like you said, create some sort of Super League type thing. There has to be, they're not stupid. There has to be an end game for it. Mm. And because if they don't, if there isn't one, then they are literally just putting money down the, putting money down the drain. And for the Premier League, it's definitely a, it's a bit of a wake up call. Like you said, it's something that they haven't really had to deal with for a long time. They've been the undoubted powerhouse. And now they've suddenly got someone rocking the boat a little bit. China did it. And they got kind of batted away pretty comfortably in the end. But mm. whether it's similar this time, we'll have to wait and see. Well, I mean, I think the, 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 just the final thing on this is that, you know, if the money comes in for, I don't know, if there's another 10 or 15 
deals uh, to bring Premier League players to uh, to the Saudi Arabian League, you're probably talking a huge amount of money coming into the Premier League, which will then get spent on more transfers and more wages and all that kind of stuff. So it does just sort of add to that distortion of the market that already exists. And whether whether we see a you know, a transfer that would be a game changer, like the way Neymar then became the benchmark when he went to PSG that time. I'm not sure we'll get to that, uh, you know, certainly not this summer anyway, but nobody's going to turn any of that money down. Nobody will, no football club is going to take what they might consider or might, what some people might consider like a moral stance. You know, if the money's there, they are going to take that money. Well, exactly. If someone, if they, if, one of them bids fifty million pounds for Nicolas Pepe. Now Arsenal aren't going to say no. Are they? no. They're going to take it. And if, if one of them bids forty million for Thomas Partey, where whereas a couple of the interested clubs in Italy only bidding twenty million, which bid are you going to accept? It's going to be the Saudi Arabia bid, isn't it? You know whether the player decides to go there it remains to be seen. But mm. it's um, yeah, it's it's there's certainly going to be a lot more money swirling around. There was again when China did it, a lot of money suddenly got pumped into the European ecosystem, and it would be very similar now. I mean. You look at the money Chelsea are making um, from here, uh, mm. which, yeah, is a bit murky. But you look at the money they're making for unwanted players who they managed to get off their wage bill, which they wouldn't have been able to do if this the whole Saudi explosion hadn't happened. You know, they, sure. would, they wouldn't have been able to get rid of Koulibaly. They certainly wouldn't have got £30 million or whatever it is for Koulibaly. You know, you've been sitting there just like Arsenal have had to deal with in recent years with ageing players on big contracts not playing. But Chelsea mm. have managed to avoid that situation because of because of what's happened so it's certainly been a big benefit for them well look we'll wait and see what happens like i said there's still a long time to go in this in this transfer window uh we've gone quite long and i did ask uh, our discord listeners if they had a couple of questions for you so i'm not going to get to too many of those but we did have uh one or two about your career change uh, you've left goal.com um what exactly are you going to be doing now and where can people get on board with all of that playing golf (laughs) (laughs) badly playing golf badly nice Um, i I know the feeling yeah yes there is there is things coming i am i kind of want i've wanted to do it for a while become my own boss kind of and create my own little thing and this summer felt like a good time to do it you know there was a you know, it's been great at goal. I've really enjoyed the last few years, but things were changing there. My job was going to change if I stayed, and that was going to involve Tottenham and Chelsea, which I had absolutely no um, passion or motivation to do. There's so a I- man with a stiff moral compass. Good <laughs> <Yeah>. man. <laughs> and so uh, I was like, well, this is the perfect time to do it. And um, so, yeah, I'm, there's a website on the way charleswatts.football which um is going to allow me to continue to write obviously i've got a very successful youtube channel which i've really enjoyed building and i'm gonna expand on which i wouldn't have had the opportunity at goal so do more stuff do more interviews create more content on there um podcasting as well not that i could ever get to your level andrew but you know <laughs> do some stuff on that regard and just kind of try and build my own little media arsenal empire it's it's something that i've wanted to do for a while and you know i, I feel like this is the perfect chance to give it a go if it, if it doesn't work out then you know i'm sure i'll go back into it and this is going to allow me to go back to sit in in my actual seat next season which i haven't done for years i'm going to be able to sit next to my dad 
which I haven't done regularly for years. And like last season, I really struggled. I mean, it was brilliant to report on because it was such a fun season, but I missed it so much. And I kept looking over at my seat, looking over at my dad and thinking, I wish I was sit- sitting over there. And mm. so many moments, like Reese Nelson's goal against, Bourm- against Bournemouth, the wins against Tottenham United, Liverpool. And I was thinking, oh God, it's so, it sucks sitting in here and not being able to enjoy <laughs> it properly. And and this season's going to allow me to do that. So it's kind of, you know, I've been, I've been doing it for 20 odd years from non-league to work covering Reading and then moving into Arsenal and, uh, and yeah, I, I just want to try something a little bit different. I've got the book coming out as well, which comes out at the end of August, which I've had to put a lot of work into. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to that coming out. And that's kind of given me a little bit of um, freedom as well to to try this new project. So, yeah, it's all coming. Hopefully it will it'll all be online before the start of the season. That is the plan. Unfortunately, I'm going away for two weeks, right? And I miss the opening game of the season. I actually fly back from Portugal on the day that Arsenal are playing Forest. So that's not ideal, but um, you'll still be able to see me write and read my stuff. Um, and, but also be able to see me on, you know, see other stuff as well. So yeah. branching out into the world of multimedia. Cool, cool, cool. Well, listen, best of luck with it. Um, like you say, it's uh it's something you got to try. If it doesn't work, at least you can say you tried it. That's always my philosophy on something. It's like, well, if it didn't work, at least I tried it. One hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred percent. That was my that's my thinking going into it. Well, like I said, if it doesn't work, then I could be back. I could, I'll go back into doing what I've been doing for the last yeah. twenty years. But right. this is an opportunity to to try something new. Uh, we had one uh, question here. John Larkin has said, "Did you enjoy writing the book uh, on Arteta? And are you excited for the launch? I guess." You're obviously excited for the launch because when you put that much work into something, you want to see it out in in the world and hold a physical copy of it. There's nothing quite like that of, of after yeah. you put that work into a book. But how did you how did you find the process? Because it is very very different from sitting down and writing, you know, even a, an opinion piece or writing a piece for a website like Goal or somebody else. You know, these are you know a thousand words, twelve hundred words, and your book is probably somewhere in the region of sixty, eighty thousand words. You know, and and the structure and how you put something like that together is 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 very different. So how did you how did you find that you know while combining what you were doing as well this season? <laughs> Absolute stress, mate. It was <laughs> it was bloody awful. Um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't have very long to do it either, and um, you know, on top of you know trying to do it all on top of Arsenal going on this title charge, it was it was it was tough. It was stressful, but it was it was a lot of fun. I really did enjoy it. If you know, if I'd have if I wasn't, if I didn't have what I was doing with goal at the same time, it would have been a completely different experience, I think, and I'd have enjoyed it even more. Mm. But um, because it's just the stress of it, or while while bringing up two young kids at the same time, it was it was a mad few a mad few months. But um, yeah, it was. I, I can't wait for it to come out. It was a shame it didn't get the perfect ending. Mm. You know, well, when I went into it, when we were talking Harper Collins at the publishers, and when we they sort of approached me about it, it was never on the sort of proviso that Arsenal won the league, it was straight away, it was sort of set out. I was like, this doesn't matter if Arsenal win the league or not. We, This is what we want to do. Do you want to do it? And and I was up for that because I just think it's been so, it's been such a mad few years and honestly writing it and going back and looking over what's happened, there's so much stuff that even I'd forgotten, even I was there and mm. um, you just think, oh my God, yeah, that happened, that happened. It's been, there's been so much, so much drama ups and downs and you know Arteta is such a fascinating guy I think and the way he approaches things and 
you know, speaking to a lot of people for the book who have kind of worked with him and been around there, you just kind of realise just what, what a sort of person he is and how interesting he is. And, um, you know, and just from the football side of things, it's been such a mad few years and from where Arsenal were to where they ended up at the end of last season, the rise has been massive and, you know, it was disappointing as it was last season to miss out. I think there's just so much to like about the direction the club is going in now. And mm. you know, I, I think as disappointing as it was at the end, I think that's the, that's kind of the overriding thing I took from it. So yeah, I'm looking for it to, forward to come out. I'm not looking forward to the abuse that I'm going to get because <laughs> I'm sure I'll get plenty as is the way. Uh, and a lot of people will be like, oh, why are you writing this? I mean, obviously when I even tweet the link to it now, it's just like embarrassing. Why, why they've done nothing. He's finished second. Why are you writing it? And, so I'm sure there'll be plenty of that, but I know that there's a lot of people who are very excited to to read it, and a lot of people who like me have just enjoyed the ride of the yeah. last few years. And I hope this story tells tells that ride well. Yeah, it's almost as if there's a section of football Twitter that uh, is populated entirely by complete twats, you know. Yeah. But there you go. Uh, congratulations on the book. Congratulations on the career move. Uh, we'll talk uh, maybe when the book comes out um, and give people a heads up where they can get a copy and all the rest. For now, enjoy the golf. We'll talk soon. Um, Cheers, Andrew. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash aware. Thank you very much indeed to Charles. You can find him still on Twitter. He is at Charles underscore Watts at Charles underscore Watts. And I guess that is the best place to keep an eye on if you're looking for more details on the new project that we talked about at the end of the podcast there. So keep an eye on that. Right. I am going to leave it there for now. Fingers crossed there are positive developments when it comes to the Declan Rice situation. As we spoke about in the pod, there are a lot of moving pieces around which he's the sort of gravitational core. Does that make any sense? I'll have to look that up in the uh, Scientific Journal of Science, which bends scientific facts to my own requirements. It's very handy piece of literature let me tell you we will no doubt be bombarded with updates over the course of the weekend try and stay calm try and stay sane as much as that's possible when you are sucked into the morass of twitter and all the rest of it hope you have a great weekend james and i will be here on monday with an arsecast extra please do join us for that no doubt there will be lots to talk about. Uh, for now, take it easy. Thank you for listening as always, and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye.
Yeah, look, I, I just think everybody's got to calm down, you know, about this whole Declan Rice thing. Sure, Man City can offer more money, better chance of trophies and all that, but, you know, this is a guy who we're told really wants to play for Mikel Arteta and Arsenal, and he just strikes me as the kind of guy that, you know, once he makes a commitment to something, you can't change his mind. Hello, welcome back to the debate. We're going to be talking about Declan Rice and international choices. You will, of course, have heard that he's going to be available to play for England rather than for the Republic of Ireland, having played three games for the Republic but not competitive matches. 